0: glad you're here. Sorry I've got very little voice left. Uh, the prom pretty much took what was left uh, last night as we were having fun with all the special needs guests down the street. And so if you missed that, we'll get some video and some pictures up. But it was a blast. How many of you had a good time participating in some way? Okay, cool. Either, a lot of you did set up, break down. A lot of you guys were buddies. I think the best role was buddy. Would you agree? We get to hang out with a special needs guest and spend the day with them. So it was a lot of fun. We just finished a series, if you're joining us, and uh, I wanted to do a one-up message. So hopefully you'll be able to get over the voice. I'll try to turn it down back a little bit. But I wanted to do something that was a little deeper this Sunday uh, than what we've been doing. And so I'm going to take you to a place that if you're just new and you're just visiting Grace, uh, know that not every message quite goes this deep. But today we're going to go really deep, all right? So you're probably going to need your Bible. You're going to want to make some serious notes. Um, I may present some things that you'll go, I'm not sure about that. Those are the best kind of things to hear in church because I would love to hear your dialogue and hear your questions afterward. And so as we get into this message, here's the premise of this message that I'm hoping will help you. There is a concept in the Christian faith called spiritual oppression, Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're someone who's been pursuing any kind of spiritual growth, you will recognize that there are moments in your life where you can actually sense that someone is opposing you, some force is opposing you, and you feel oppressed. Now, just to kind of get it out of the way, if you're a believer in Jesus, it is impossible for someone to be possessed by an evil spirit. The reason that's true is the Holy Spirit indwells and lives inside of a person. And there's just not enough space, it's a little too crowded once the Spirit of God indwells and is in someone. But it is possible for you and I to experience incredible oppression from the forces that are around us. And I think when I was praying over this message, my mind went here because I think so many in the church today are oppressed. I think you're oppressed through depression. I think we are oppressed through anxiety. I think we are oppressed, as DT and I were talking about right before the service, that the marriages and relationships in our community, especially in the marital relationship, is under attack and it brings oppression. I think you're oppressed in the area of what it means to serve God's people and to serve the community around you. And I think this spiritual oppression is real and that we don't deal with it in real ways spiritually, and that Jesus himself gives us an incredible way to deal with oppression. So I tell you that because I believe there are people in this room that God brought you here today to be set free from an area of oppression. That there's an area of your life that has been pushed down. Now let me describe this to you in some interesting ways. Let me launch out of a passage, if you've got a Bible, out of Peter. We're going to do 1 Peter, just chapter 2, in verse 11. And I want to show you the connection to this idea of oppression, and then I want to move into a part of Jesus' life where you actually see Jesus be oppressed. Not possessed, but oppressed. So let's look at 1 Peter. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. That means that you're passing through, by the way, that you have a heavenly home, not an earthly home. To abstain from sinful desires, which war against the soul. So to see this idea of oppression, you got to do a little bit of language study. You got to look at some of the words that are in the Bible and break them down in a very neat way. The word here for soul is a word in the Greek that you actually recognize. Whether you know Greek or not, it doesn't matter. You will recognize the word. Has anybody ever heard of the word psychology? Does anyone know ology means something? What's ology at the end of anything mean? It means the study of or the science of. Very good. Students over here love it, okay? So that means there's something at the front of this word that means there's a study of. Psychology comes from the same Greek and Latin root word where we get the word soul, Suke. And what's so cool about this is what is being said in this text, what Peter was wanting the church to hear, was that when sin finds a root, when sin finds a home, when that happens in your life and in my life, whether it's outside or inside, there is a war that happens at the soul. And this idea of soul, psychology, actually means the study of the soul So we've lost that in our culture. We think psychology is a study of the mind. The mind is simply the organ which processes so much more. The soul part of you, the spiritual part of you, the being of you that sits in there is the part that gets anxious and gets depressed and gets weighed down and has worry. That's the part of the soul that we've totally forgot about. And in us is an immaterial part that is spiritual and then there's the flesh part. When you look at a person, I just want you to think about this for a second. There's a part that's spiritual, and there's a part that's flesh. We see the fleshy part, but we don't get to see necessarily the spiritual part. And what happens is in your life and mine, the spiritual part of our being gets beat down heavy. And when that happens, it manifests in physical ways. And then what we would say today are psychological ways. In fact, we have more mental illness in America than at any other point in time. So my question for you as we look at this today is, what is waging war against your soul? What's waging war against your soul? And it's going to be unique and different for each person. Sorry, I'm having a problem with this. We can pull it out. okay? So it's like creeping down my arm and making me feel goofy and weird. So... So we'll just, I don't know if dangling is worse. Y'all can tell me later, okay? But what's waging war against your soul? And I can tell you as a pastor, there are moments that things wage war against my soul, against the very being of who I am spiritually. And if 20% of Americans are now diagnosed with a mental issue, that should tell you something about what's happening in us. One of the things I was doing when I was researching this is I asked the question, what seems to be the greatest areas that have caused us as a culture to deal with psychological issues, soul issues? And what I researched and found was social media is at the top of the list. That somehow our connection to social media gives us a false sense of what it means to be interconnected with people and spiritually connected with other people. And with that, it's created in people a sense of being disconnected while still connected. It's a facade in many ways, and it's wreaked havoc against the souls of Americans. Another one that messed us up is COVID-19. COVID-19, the church was horrible at this. It's something I wish we could go back and do a redo and get a mulligan on, okay? We, of all people, should have been the ones coming close together to support one another through this issue, and what happened was we allowed, in many ways, people to drive us apart. And in that driving us apart, our soul was impacted. There's a lot of people that came out of COVID-19 with severe depression, or they, they had this disconnect from their family and weren't connected to the people that were supposed to love them and care for them and essentially undergird their soul. Isolation is another one. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Pew Research and different people that study sociology look at homes today. And they said, there is no front porch on the home anymore. Have you noticed that? There used to be, ages ago, there was a front porch. I see you back there, Brother Jim. Why was there a front porch, right? Because people hung out on the front porch. And when they hung out on the front porch, what would happen in the community? Other people would walk by or visit, and they would visit with one another, and essentially, they would undergird and essentially bless one another's soul in relationship. So this is under attack. We see that we don't don't relate to one another in our communities anymore. We don't talk to people. We isolate ourselves. And the result is we now have the largest um, route of anxiety, depression, purity, and people lack purpose. So the soul of America is under attack. And it's under attack because we have lost the idea of what the soul is. So let me show you in scripture a contextual place where you get to see Jesus use both the words soul, and then he uses another word which is very unique. He uses a word for spirit, and he makes a distinction between the two in the same text, and it's in a moment when Jesus is under the greatest duress he's ever been under. So here's good news for you this morning. If you're under great duress, you're under great stress, you feel like excuse me, your soul is about to break, or you're at a breaking point, Jesus gives you a wonderful, beautiful, heartfelt model of how you can break out of soul oppression and see the spirit that God gave you rise to the place it's supposed to be. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 26. We're going to look at verses 36 through 45. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time <clears throat> Now that we know that our soul can have war waged on it, let's look at what happened when Jesus' soul had war waged upon his soul. So Matthew 26, 36, 36 through 45. And before we get to this, understand the context in case you're new to Scripture. Jesus had just hung out with the people closest to him. He just had something that we do once a month called the Last Supper or Communion. He had washed their feet. He'd had this wonderful time with them. And now he knows before him is the cross. So if you're unfamiliar, Jesus is going to go to a cross, which is essentially capital punishment. He's going to be nailed to that cross and he's going to surrender and give his life for all of humanity. And he knows it's coming. He knows the cross is before him. And so he's about to prepare his soul for this moment that is of anguish. And so this we find him in the garden of Gethsemane, and this is what the scriptures say. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Does that sound familiar? Sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul, if you've got a Bible, you can underline that. That's the actual word. Again, repeated the same word in Peter. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, that's, that's a serious attack. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Could you not, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? And the ladies are gone. The women could have done it, the guys blew it. Okay, I know that. We'll come back to that on a different day. That's Easter morning, okay? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And here's the new word the spirit is willing but the body is weak. And the word used there is very close to the word for soul. And I'll break that down for you in a second. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So you've got both of these words right there being used the word for soul, and the word for spirit. Let me break them down for you in a little bit of a deeper way, a little bit of a deeper teaching. You can research this later if you decide you wanna research it. There's in Christianity a concept called the dichotomy or trichotomy of being. I know that sounds fancy, but you can break it down. It's not that hard, right? So tri means what? Thrace, okay? And then what's di means? Those, okay, it's two, coming out of the Latin. Okay, so here's all it means. You either are spiritual, and physical, or your mind, body, and spirit. You've probably heard these terms at different times throughout culture. So in this moment, I'm gonna give you my breakdown. By the way, there's scriptural support for both of those ideas in scripture if you wanna follow them out, okay? But I'm gonna give you what I think is going on and why it's so important when we look at this idea of the soul. I believe that you and I have two parts, okay? We are spiritual and we are physical, that's it, okay. Why do I believe this? Because one day when I do your funeral and your body's here, where will your spiritual part be? Okay, I hope it's in heaven. If it goes to another place, you and I need to talk before the end of the service. Okay, so hope you're in heaven. The spiritual component of who you are as a whole is in heaven, not split into two pieces, not mind and spirit. Oneness of spirit, you're in heaven, and the physical part remains here until Jesus one day resurrects your body to be rejoined to your spiritual being. But the scriptures talk about the Word of God even being able to divide down between soul and spirit. Yeah, I know. I've got some Bible students over there like, yeah. What does that mean? There's only one being, spiritual. But within your spiritual makeup are two components, the soul and the spirit. And they're the same. They're two different ways for us to understand. Let me explain why this is important. When God breathed you into existence, just like he did the original Adam, and he breathed into you and you became a living soul, there's an essence of who you are at the moment of conception. Those of you that have had babies, you know what I'm talking about. You have a young child and they have a personality and there's a certain way that they're wired and you watch that grow, but it stays the same all throughout their life. Even Paul, when he had his big conversion from being a Pharisee to being one of the early apostles of the church, his personality was his personality. There's an essence of who he is that is grounded and unchanging. That's the spiritual component of you that they use the word spirit for. It's essence. But there's another part of your spiritual being that changes. Your emotions are there. Your memories are there. There's this whole piece of that that can be impacted and wounded And here's what's interesting. It can get pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. Literally, the word used in Peter is beat down. It's the same word Jesus uses when he's saying he's being beat down to the point of death. It's being pushed down so far that you're at a place that the spirit, the very essence of who you're supposed to be, who God's built you to be, who God's called you to be, cannot rise to the place to meet the challenge. And this happens all the time because we violate spiritual principles in the world in which we live. So when you look at Jesus in this moment, there are three things that he did. And if you and I do these same things, you will see not only your soul be healed and not oppressed, but you will see the very essence and spirit of where God wants you to be created to rise to the surface, especially when combined with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So what do we see? When Jesus was pressed, he did these three things. He sought out his group. Did you catch that? Even though his group was knuckleheads at the time, he sought out his group. He knew stuff was about to hit the fan, and he took his disciples. And not only did he take his disciples, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Anybody know who the two sons of Zebedee are? James and John. So yeah, so he took this inner circle of three, and then he had his disciples. So he had this group of 12. He says, y'all are my peeps. I need you to go with me. I need you to pray with me. And they said, now you three, I expect more from you. You're part of the inner circle. You're going to go a little further in with me, and you're going to support this. You're going to pray with me. You're going to be there for me. And he says, I need that. Now, if the Son of God needs that for his soul to be cared for, why is it that we so resist being in group together, I'm too busy, my life is too full. Well then why is your soul being oppressed? Because I'm too busy, my life is too full. You need other people spiritually connected to you to support you and pray with you and be there with you when you go through these kinds of situations in life. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone and they're getting ready to go through a surgery or they're going to go through a difficult season in their life. And I can pray with them. And I don't know if you all figure this out, but I don't have any magic prayers. Even if I use like the common book of prayer, there's nothing special about it either. They're just prayers, okay? And I'll tell you what I've learned. While the pastor's prayers, sometimes people want that, the prayers that mean the most to people when they're going ready to go through something tough are the people that are closest to them, the people connected to them, the people that are doing life with them. Those kind of prayers mean the most. I'll tell you a funny story. I'm probably not supposed to share it, but this is what happens when you do a prom and you don't get enough prep. Susan says this is where you always go off script and get in trouble. So if I get in trouble, you tell her, okay? One of the worst times of my life, I didn't reveal something to my group. So um, what kind of a tough thing, you know, guys got it easier, honestly, than gals. Y'all go through a lot medically. Guys only have to go through a few things medically. There's this one thing that guys have to go through once you've had enough kids. Y'all know what that is? Okay, good. Okay, you're with me. Okay. I'll have to say the word. Good. That makes me feel a little more comfortable. Okay, so I, it was that season of my life when it was time for me to take care of the goods, so to speak, so that we didn't have any more kids. And I didn't want to tell my group because it's kind of embarrassing. It's not something God wants to talk about. Okay. So I didn't share it with the group. No, Susan was the only one that knew. And I thought, it's okay. All I need is me and God. You ever been there? Don't need my group. This is me and God can handle and I took my Bible in with me. Of course, they made me take the bottoms off. And I had my Bible on my chest. And I was sitting there waiting for the doc to come in and the nurse to come in. I'm reading the Psalms. I figured David's got to have something on this whole thing. So I'm reading the Psalms. And I can actually watch the book on my chest bouncing because my heart's going, blah, 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 blah. You know what's about to happen. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm freaking out. So then I started to pray. And I started to calm down. And I can actually watch my chest. Slow down. I'm like, hey, this spiritual stuff works, okay? I, all I needed was me and Jesus. That's all I needed. And then the door opened and I could watch the book start to go back up and down just like that. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it was not a pleasant experience. I forgot to tell the doctor that I don't numb to Novocaine. Yep. You don't need to know the rest other than I said, just hurry up and get it done, okay? And uh, Susan, when she saw me walk out of the office, said, ooh, that doesn't look like a good day. Now, I tell you that because <laughs> I want you to know the mistake I made is I believe it would have been so different if I would have actually shared it with my group. I know that sounds like benign, but if I would have shared it with a core group of guys that are close to me and they would pray with me, they also probably would have said, hey, don't forget to tell them because they know me, you don't know the Novocaine. Or don't forget and they would have supported me and it would have been so different. I know that sounds simple, but those are the kind of things that go through our life. I'll give you another one that was a good one, a good example. When my brother died at the age of 47, and I'm dealing now with the anguish of grief. You ever dealt with that? Yeah. Grief can hit you, whether you're a Christian or not. And it can just mess with your soul. It can squash you down. And i never forget the day I came home, I was just numb. You ever been that way after you've lost someone? And I walked up to my house, and there was my growth group they were splitting our firewood. They brought food for us and they sat with us and they were smart enough to not to say something stupid. Okay. Cause some of us don't know what to say when someone's going through grief. They didn't say it would be okay. They didn't say it was all right. They were just there for me. And it's in those moments that your soul is refreshed because you need it. Now, sometimes the group needs to expand just so we're being plain to some professional help. When, my, when I turned 47, I began to deal with um, a really dark place in my spirit, in my soul. And where I started to deal with is I felt like I was guilty for being alive. Anybody ever felt that way? And so my brother died when he was 47. After 47, every year after that, I started feeling like I feel guilty for living longer than my older brother because it didn't make sense to me. And it also didn't make sense that I was getting worse in this guilt. I'm like, why do I feel guilter, more guilty every year For being alive, he would want me to be here. By the time I hit 50, it was bad. Now this time it was different. I pulled some people around me that were close to me, a few guys. I started to confess this. I started talking about this. I said, You gotta pray over this. And I sought out a professional help with a therapist. And within about three months, life was so much better. I had done soul care, I'd gotten some professional help. Tell me think through my mind part of it, the thinking part, the psychology part of it, which is connected to my soul. And I was getting the help from men around me that were close to me and were praying for me. And it was amazing. Pastor Danny was the first one that reminded me. We were out for lunch one day. I was kind of sharing this thing and I'm doing the whole confess thing. You've been there? Blew up, here it comes, okay? Regurgitated what was going on. I said, man, I feel better already. He's like, well, bro, you know the principle. You're only sick as your secrets. The beginning of healing is revealing. That's real. That's soul care. And Jesus knew this and he did this, but somehow we've lost it. The second thing you see is when Jesus was pressed, he not only sought out his group, he was transparent about the attack. He saw it as a real attack on his very soul and being. I love this. It says, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death in verse 38. To the point of death. I mean, that's pretty transparent. That's like, this is messing me up. This is doing something in me that is just unbelievable and I feel undone. Now, one, I feel good that Jesus was like that. It's weird. Because I've been that way. I'm like, now, if the Son of God felt that way, I could so much better relate to him and him to me when I feel this way. But how often, let's be real, are you transparent like that? How often in your group, whether it's a group of ladies that get tea, or it's a Bible study, or it's a growth group, or it's a hangout in some part of this um, this area, and you get with the people that you're supposed to be doing your life spiritually with, and you don't share anything of depth. Let's just be real for a second. Uh, Tony, who's been leading our men's thing, he he got a little real with the guys a couple of Saturdays ago. He told him he used some words I wouldn't have used, So, but that was said in group, so it stays in group. So, but he, he said to the guys, get real and transparent. And he said that because guys, among all people, were horrible at this. I can't tell you how many growth groups I sit in on. I won't wrap my own group out. But I sit in on, or I talk to, or hang out in a Bible study, and we get to the moment of prayer. And what do you think prayer really looks like? Well, pray for this person down the street that I work with who's going through something. Now, that's important, but I don't know him. I can chunk up a prayer as good as you, okay? But there's no intimacy to it. There's no connection to it. And I said, but what's going on in your soul? "Eh, I don't want to share that. I don't want to reveal really what's going on inside of me.
1: One, I don't want to make
0: it about me. Well, but that moment, you just robbed the whole group of really being able to love you and minister to you and understand this principle of transparency. But we're horrible at transparency. Let me tell you why we're horrible at it. We think somehow those people are going to judge us and see us for who we really are. Let me tell you a secret. They already know who you really are. They already know how screwed up you are. They already know how screwed up I am. And if they have any level of integrity, they won't judge you because they're just as screwed up as you are. So when you say to me, this is the struggle, this is what I'm hurting with. This is what I hope no one in this room or in this group ever finds out. Guess what, I've probably been through it in some factor or form. And because of that, I have no right to judge you. I only have the privilege to pray for you. And when that happens and we get that real and we get that transparent and we get to pray for one another like that, healing begins to take place in the human soul. Um, there's an old saying. You probably know it. It's not biblical. I love grabbing ones that aren't biblical. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we know that we think is spiritual that's not biblical, like cleanliness is... Yeah, that's not in the Bible. Okay, there's a lot of those. Here's one that's not in the Bible. It's just kind of fun. Confession is good. It's not in the Bible. It's actually a Scottish idiom, so if you're Scottish, uh, good for you. I figured it came from the Scottish because confession's good for the soul. I figured with the kilts, it was easy for them to be exposed. So... <laughs> I I think that it was easy for them to say, confession's good for the soul. But that's where it comes from. And they got this idea of transparency. And I don't know if you've ever been around the Scottish people, but they usually put it right out there for you. They're like really real with who they are. And because of that, soul care is important and it's healthy. So when Jesus was pressed, look at what he did. He sought out his group. He had a group of people, it was his group. He was transparent and real about the attack, and he prayed repeatedly. In fact, not only did he pray repeatedly, this is interesting. The scripture says he prayed the same prayer. You ever been there? You ever been so hurt, so wounded, so worried about something, so anxious, so depressed that you come back to God over and over and over and over again, and then you feel guilty for bringing it back Don't feel guilty anymore because Jesus, when he was that driven to despair, brought it back. Look at it in verse 39. Going a little further, he fell to his face to the ground and he prayed, "'My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will.'" Skip to 42. "'He went away a second time and prayed, "'My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done.'" 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because his, their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Gosh, isn't that refreshing? Isn't that real? Did you know you could go back to God in that way? That this is what's plaguing my soul. This is what's eating away at the very nature of my being. And I can come back to God over and over and over again. Now, this doesn't, by the way, say you should be habitual in the area of sin. This is talking about area of being wounded in your soul. There there are times, I'll I'll be confessional with you, when we do communion, because we do communion once a month, right, church family. And I get here and we have that moment of reflection and we examine ourselves. And there are moments when I'm coming here to church, I'm like, I hope I have a different sin to confess. You ever been there? I'm like, because there's some things that stick with me for a while. It takes me a little while to begin to learn how to live out in a way where that sin doesn't get in my mind and get in my heart. Are you there? And I'm standing here going, oh, crap. I've got to confess the same thing I confessed last month. Lord, we got to do some work on that. We, that that's not the same thing. This is where you come to him, and there's something that's been eating away at the very nature and soul of who you are. And you say to him, I need to deal with this in a new way, in a fresh way. And I love Jesus's response, but not my will, yours. And what you learn in that moment is God may not change your circumstance. He might, by the way, but he will most certainly change your soul. He'll change your mood. He'll change your thinking. He'll change the direction of your hope because maybe your hope is connected to the outcome of the prayer, instead of the one to whom you pray. And Jesus knew if he spent that time abiding and hanging out with God in that moment, that his soul would be strengthened to the point that he could take on the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. One of the things that we recently did, I bring it up because I want to be real with y'all. I want to be transparent about where our church is. One of the things that we did is we planted a church and people were confused about that. They were like, why should we do that? Doesn't it damage us in some way to reduce how many people are here to send them there? And I think what people miss out is when you pray in a certain way, there's a moment where you hear God's voice and you say, not my, but yours. Be done. And when God's speaking plainly and God's speaking clearly, we have to respond by faith, even if it hurts a little. That's the model that Jesus gave us. And when we do that in obedience, we get to see the evidence of God's presence in our lives. So what area of your soul is being attacked? What area for you is there a war being waged? Is it over an illness? I'm going to ask Chris. I don't know where he split on me. Where do you go? Uh, There he is. I see him. So can you come up and play some keys for us? Give us a moment of reflection. He's like, you didn't tell me we were going to do that. I know. I do it all the time. So it's welcome. Welcome to grace, brother. love it. So play some cool stuff over there. Do your thing. But as he comes up and gets ready to play some, some, just a quiet moment for us, I think that God has something specific he wants to say to you. And I think he wants to say to me. But we're gonna to have to set aside a moment in time to figure it out. And, and for you, maybe it is anxiety. For you, maybe it is depression. For you, maybe it's an illness that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a marriage that you're not sure will survive. Maybe it's a child that you're praying for, or a grandchild. Maybe it's a job situation. But I know that there's something that's eating away at your soul. And I also know that the essence of the breath of God that he breathed into you the moment you became a believer is right there waiting to rise. That your soul is squeezing all this stuff down so far that what God wants to happen can't happen. And it won't until you confess and reveal not only here with God, but also when you leave with some trusted people that you've built a relationship with. And when that happens, healing of the soul begins to take place. We should look to the people of God in the church and you should see the healthiest people spiritually and psychologically of any other place if we'll model the life of Jesus and stop copying the model of this world. But those three things have to happen. You've got to have a core group of people you're going to be transparent with and maybe you might have to repeat it more than one time, not only to God, but to them, do you notice within that model is the same way that you be in a relationship with Jesus? You admit what, church family? Sin, right? You get honest and transparent about sin. You believe only on the person of Christ is the one that can deal with it by faith, and you commit your life to living for Him. When that happens, your soul. We'll change. So here's here's today what we're asking. Lighten your soul, please. Lighten your soul so the spirit might soar that God created to happen. Lighten your soul. So I just want to give you a moment of stillness. I just want to just set aside a, a, just a moment in time, just for a few minutes, and be confessional with God. God, what is eating at my soul? And whatever it is, would you bring it to my mind? And once God brings it to your mind, confess it to him, reveal it to him, and ask him who the group is that you're supposed to confess it to to support you in prayer. So let's spend some time and let God reveal that to each person in his own way.